fun fact, if you were to go to like a church growth seminar or something, one of the things you hear, because these have popped up over the years, that is terrible for church growth is the greeting. <laughs> they tell you, don't do it. Don't do it. People, don't, people won't come back. And yet you do. <laughs> so as an introvert. Um, oh, man, we're going to be in Acts 8. If you have your Bible, feel free to open up to, to Acts chapter 8. Um, I want to start off with kind of a, a point and then an illustration that will lead into the text. When you have a thing that you sh- know you should do and, and don't, or a thing that you know you shouldn't do and yet do, Usually, I would argue the issue isn't that you don't know, it's the matter of what you want. The problem isn't clarity, the problem tends to be willingness. Now, I was trying to think of a great illustration for this that nearly everyone could relate to, and I'm just warning you now, a bunch of you will not like this. It might actually sting some of you. And to those of you sitting next to someone about whom I'm about to speak, avoid the elbows and the glares, wait till the ride home, okay? I actually learned about a month ago that there is a particular way in which people interact with social media that is causing physical changes to their bodies, okay? It's interesting. Now, I'm not talking about the content. We've known for years that content has been wreaking havoc on mental health. So if you're a person who consumes on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, things that make you wish you had a better kitchen, things that make you wish you had a better body, things that make you wish you had a bigger house or more muscles or a better face or a younger, whatever, if you're consuming those kinds of things, it leads to a lot of mental health problems, okay? Which is why Christians should avoid those kinds of content. There's lots of great content. That kind of content is terrible. But this is different. This isn't the what of the content, it's the how. And I listened to a neuroscientist walk through, there's a practice in the way people consume content on social media that is rewiring the circuitry of their brains. And it looks something like this. Now, when you go to YouTube or Instagram and you search for something and you consume it, we're going to consider that neutral. But what they're learning is that when you get on reels and you start swiping and scrolling, when you get on a feed and you scroll, it's actually changing the biochemistry of your brain. It's physically incapacitating you away from the ability to focus undistractedly for longer periods of time. It's changing your brain. Now, in Philippians 4, we have this verse up in our home. It says, don't worry about anything. Some of your translations say don't be anxious, but in everything through prayer. Don't be anxious, pray. And I point out this illustration because most of us can relate to this or have someone in our lives that can because this is a habit that both causes anxiousness and incapacitates your ability to sit with your eyes closed and focus and pray for any meaningful period of time such that if you were to pray for 10 minutes straight, some of you, that would terrorize you. The idea of focusing on one thing that long. Now I start with this illustration because my opening line, our issue isn't clarity, it's willingness. Tomorrow, many of you will open up your phones 
you will open up Instagram or TikTok, and even with all the data out there, and some of you won't dare look at it because it only reinforced what I just told you, nothing will change. You'll still do the same thing, and you might be an addiction. I'm not talking about you do this once a week or a month. I'm talking about the daily. And your ability to focus in on prayer and the way it affects your mental health will continue, and the reason change isn't happening isn't clarity. It's not that you don't know. It's a matter of what you want. It's a matter of willingness. Today in our text, we see someone do something that for most Christians is really scary. However, I would argue that the problem isn't clarity, and I'll explain that when we get there, but willingness. And I think that God can cast out those fears if we lean in, because that's what perfect love does. And so, pray with me. We'll dive into Acts chapter 8. Lord, we give this morning to you. We give this time to you. We give you our attention and our affection, and we ask that you'd be glorified. Help us with soft hearts to receive truth from your text. In Jesus' name, amen. We start with Acts chapter 8 with Philip going out and bringing the gospel. And remember, going back to Acts 1-8, you had, you had Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The gospel is spreading. The outskirts and boundaries of, of the gospel are stretching and stretching and stretching. And we see that continue here. It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch. By the way, a eunuch is a person whose man parts have been sabotaged. We'll just leave it there. I don't know how they knew he was a eunuch, but it's in there. High official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. This guy's clearly devoted. He's reading Isaiah. Some of you been in the church for decades. The only reason you've gone through Isaiah is because we spent two years preaching through it. Am I right? This could be a little bit of an intimidating book. All right, guy's devoted. He's in Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, Go and join that chariot. When Philip ran to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Remember what the whole idea of this first point is when when God calls, be willing. The reason I start with that clarity versus willingness is because, and this is the thing I hear when, when I've gone through this text and even the book of Acts largely in the past, especially when I was in missions, is if God told me, If God pointed to somebody and said, hey, that's the person, go share the gospel with them. If it was that clear, I'd do it. And what I'm saying is that's baloney. The problem isn't clarity. It's probably something else. And so in this text, we have Philip willing. He goes and he has this conversation. And before we get into that, I want to offer just a little bit of background and baggage that is important to understand as we under, to, to really get at the text. First, the idea of eunuch, the word eunuch, and treasury official was actually used in a lot of the, the, the um, documentation of the day interchangeably because of how common it was for eunuchs to serve in this role. And so 
in this particular text, it's likely that he actually was a physical eunuch because both are used. It actually clarifies he is a eunuch and he does this for a living. So we probably have both. We know from historians like Herodotus and Philostratus that castrated males often held high positions of honor and trust in oriental courts. We're not going to go into the details of that. That's history. Candace, whom he served, Kandake, literally translated, was not a personal name. This was actually a royal title, and it referred to a line of queens. It was a dynasty that ruled over the course of several generations. Now, if we zero in on the eunuch in particular, it's important for us to understand something about the eunuch. One, he's Ethiopian. We'll talk a little bit from not today's Ethiopia, but from a place called Cush. But he was a Gentile who had this physical deformity. And for both of these reasons, he would have been on the outside margins of the Jewish faith. As a eunuch, there were limitations baked into the law on you could, how you could actually participate in worship. Men who had been castrated were not allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. Eugene Merrill, he writes, their exclusion from the worship assembly as discriminatory as such a policy might seem, that's to us because we're obsessed with fairness today, that wasn't the case for them, was to underscore the principle of separation from paganism. That's, that's crucial. That's key. Where such deformities were not only acceptable, but frequently central to the practice of the cult. One more quote from Paul Hill. He writes, in his case, as a eunuch, full membership in the congregation of Israel was not even possible because of his physical blemish. He could visit the temple in Jerusalem, as he had done, but he could never enter it. This is one of the reasons why I believe Luke highlights this story because there are so many conversations, so many interactions between people bringing the gospel and people receiving the gospel that don't get coverage in the book of Acts. But this does, and it gets a good amount of coverage. Why? Because you have a, you have a man who excluded one because he's a Gentile, but two because he has this physical deformity has an interaction in which the gospel is given to him and it doesn't matter what sort of background or baggage he brings to the table. In this way, we see that the gospel is extremely inclusive, not inclusive in the kind of way that says, hey, anyone can come in and then you do whatever you want, but inclusive in the sense that it doesn't matter your, 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 your culture, your ethnicity, your sex, your background, your politics. All of those, none of those things disqualify you what you bring to the table. This is about what Jesus brings to the table. And the law, the law had said that he could not enter in. You got to remember what the law, what one of the points of the law, the points of the law was to point the people to their need for a savior. And in doing that, it also reminded them of their sin. And so God actually chose to use the physical deformities to demonstrate collectively to remind people of what this sinfulness did in the way of causing distance between them and God. That's their problem. And so here we get 
we get Philip who, who comes to this eunuch, the angel of the Lord speaks, the Spirit of God makes, um, the Spirit of the Lord tells him where to go, and he leans in. And we got a, we got a map here just to show wh- where he's from. For those of you who like maps, there's Cush. There you go. The other thing in Isaiah chapter 11, a promise is made. It says, on that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people's root of Jesus. The nations will look to him for guidance. His resting place will be glorious. And it says, on that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people who survive. And the fourth one on that list is Cush. And so what you get with the expanse of the gospel, again, is that the gospel boundary continues to push wider and wider and wider is that more and more and more people and different kinds of people get adopted into the family of God. And so who do we see? We see Philip. And what, is, what do we see about Philip? Just when God called, he was willing. And he said yes. Now listen, sometimes God says, go and share knowing that they're going to say no. Jesus knew that and said to the disciples to go do it anyways. God knew that when he told Ezekiel to prophesy. And he told him, people are going to reject you. Do it anyways. We look at a story like this and how easy is it for us to connect the success to the worthiness of effort. All right, we'll call it the guarantee of success to the worthiness of effort. Man, if I'm going to go out of my way and be uncomfortable and share the gospel with someone, man, I got to really know that it's going to actually play out the way I want it to play out. A few years ago, I was at a conference in San Diego. It was a ministry conference. And the day before the last day, they had everyone, there were thousands of people there, they had everyone in the conference go out and do street evangelism for the first half of the day. So we all gathered, we worshiped, they told us to group up with one or two other people, so mainly groups of three, and then you were to drive to a random place in San Diego and do street evangelism. Now let me tell you, this is one of the most uncomfortable things I could ever do. And some of you would have just gone to the coffee shop, I'm sure. All right, if I didn't have other people with, that's probably why they had us pair up. If you went by yourself, who knew what would have happened? And so we ended up having lots of conversations, which was great because we were dressed normal. Because you know when you're out in public and that person who's dressed in a suit with a name badge approaches you, you know you just, you try to get, we were dressed normal, people didn't see us coming. And so we would go up, we'd ask questions, we'd talk with them. We had a lot of people just reject us and walk away. We had several people who let us pray with them. At no point did anyone pray the sinner's prayer with us. We did not see anybody give their life to Jesus. So we got back, we shared the testimony with a kind of our, our, our point person on what happened, and in the next kind of worship session, after we had heard someone speak, they had aggregated all the numbers. And what was so interesting is you had tens of thousands of conversations, you had over 10,000 people get prayed with, and over the course of those three hours, over 1,000 people gave their life to Jesus. Now, what was beautiful about that experience for me is that when I get my hair cut or when I'm at the store or when I'm talking with a family member who doesn't know Jesus and, I, and it comes up and I share and I get rejected, I'm under the impression that I'm 0 for 1. 
and you walk away feeling a sense of failure because of that. And what I got to see was a great reminder that I am one of many, that you, wherever you find yourself, when the Holy Spirit makes it clear, hey, share the gospel, that you are one of billions. And you might walk away feeling zero for one, but in the grand scheme of the church, that's simply not the case. It just isn't. And so what do you do? What do you do in the places that you find yourself? Well, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, applies to us all. Go make disciples. We want to tell people about Jesus. And I'll just give you some really uh, unintrusive ways because you can go and you can bring it up. You can have conversations. That's, that's pretty easy. But for the shy people, okay, I'm going to give you just a soft way to dip your toes in the water. Okay. For me personally, you don't have this, but, but I do. I, I have this badge. All right, during the week when I go out and I meet people places, I always wear this. I always wear my GBC badge. 10 to 20% of the time I get a nice conversation with people about church, and oftentimes they're not Christians. But it's something I hear from you all that has, been, that has worked quite a bit, that's led to prayer in the workplace, that's led to people asking questions, even people coming here, is something as simple as a GBC mug or a mug with a scripture sitting on your desk. And it leads to people asking questions. Now that may sound like a little bit of a cop-out. I'm calling it a first step. Because Philip actually went and initiated the conversation. And so my question to you, who in your world has the Holy Spirit revealed to you? Because he had the angel of the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit. Okay, who in your world is in need of the gospel? And what does it look like? What does it look like for you to be willing to be willing? I'll close this point with this. It requires us to do this thing called pre-deciding. You ever done this? You pre-decide. You want to make a change to your life? You say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And then you tell somebody. And then you're much more likely to do it. So hey, when A happens, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I'm praying for this person. And when this happens at work, or when he brings this up, or when that person gets, get, gets the promotion or gets the credit, I'm going to say praise God and give God, the, give God the glory for the reason they're excited and just let it sit. We pre-decide. And then when you're in that situation, it'll happen. But two, we don't stop there. Philip isn't just willing. He's actually ready. And so we're going to continue in Acts 8.31. How can I? He said, unless someone guides me. This is the eunuch responding. Okay, Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, unless someone guides me, how can I understand? For real, this is the point at which some of you would truly be terrified. Okay, because now you have to actually explain. It's okay. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb is silent before its shearer so he does not open his mouth in his humiliation justice was denied him who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth the eunuch said to Philip I ask you who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that scripture I love that he's in the word and Philip is talking to him from the word. Can I just say, this is why we study the Bible. We have a strong culture here at GBC of getting in the word and not shying away from hard texts. 
We want people to understand because we believe as people grow in their knowledge of Jesus, they actually grow in their affection for Jesus. Those two things can go hand in hand in a really beautiful way. But what we see here is that when the time came and when the opportunity showed itself, that Philip wasn't just willing, that he was actually ready to engage. I'm gonna back up for a moment because I have three subpoints I wanna kind of walk through with respect to this exchange. Okay, Holy Spirit, angel of the Lord said, go talk to him. This guy said, oh my goodness, tell me. And then Philip shared. It's kind of a dream scenario for some of us. First, this isn't how it always happens, okay? This simply isn't how it always happens. You may not be at the park, either with your dog, with your kids, and you hear the audible voice of God say, that person in yellow, go give them the gospel. That may never happen to you, and that's okay. Again, Matthew 28, I'm gonna read it this time. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We wanna be the kinds of people that, that share. And I'm a textbook overthinker, and I've, and I've told you all this before. The, the, the people who are, uh, who don't obsess over answering all the questions, tend to be the one who are freest to share because they talk about what Jesus has done in their life. It's not always this clear. However, that doesn't mean it never happens this way. And in the Western world, we do this a lot because of kind of the way we, we, we tension up against the supernatural. The Holy Spirit's supernatural. And so this can happen but it doesn't mean it always will happen this way. Acts is descriptive, not always prescriptive. And so I want you to think about this. A number of years ago, I was in an organization and we did this thing. I think they called it headhunting, okay? And that's where you got together in a group and you, you prayed that the Lord would give you a picture or a description of a person and then we would go walking around. This is what we were instructed to do, walking around trying to find that person so you could go up with them and evangelize. Now, if that sounds weird to you, it's because reflecting now, I think it kind of was. <laughs> not to say God can't do that, but also God's not a vending machine, right? You're boop, 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 boop. Oh, out it comes. All right, cool. This is what we're working with. That's not how God, so God came to Philip and he made it clear and Philip responded. That's not how it's going to be for everyone. But it also shouldn't be an excuse for us either. Oh, man, you know what? God didn't give me a name today, so I guess I'm good. I guess I'm good because that's what we do. This isn't how it always happens. It doesn't mean it never happens. Either way, Philip was ready. Are you and if not, why? First Peter 3 says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. It says to be ready. Now, there's some people for whom this comes really easy to you, either because you're like a, you, you just love to talk and you love to meet new people. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. You just love the newness of people and somehow the gospel works its way into every conversation. So you just go and you just talk. And then there's other people you just love to argue. And so you'll talk with anybody. Chances are it's online behind a keyboard that you don't know, but it's okay because you're just going at it and you just love to argue. And then there's other people for whom this is just kind of scary 
perhaps because you feel unequipped. And so today, and I'm going to add this in the email that goes out tomorrow, but today I'm going to give you four points. If someone says, what is this Jesus all about? So four ways for you to walk through it, okay? Because some of us have never actually practiced sharing the gospel. I know for a fact some of you have stood in front of the mirror and practiced a presentation for work. Or you stood in the shower and you've gone through and you've rehearsed. Maybe for, for a presentation at school. You've practiced. You've never once actually done that for sharing the gospel. So I'm gonna give you four points. And this doubles as a, I'll say it's a, it's a win-win because if you're new to the church or you're new to the Bible, you're new to this Jesus thing, I'm gonna tell you what hopefully someone else would if you asked, okay? And it's, it's alliterative, there's four Ps. So it's hopefully easier to remember, maybe not, we'll see. One, God's perfection. This is where we start. God is perfect, his creation was good, he made you and me as image bearers. And he had a relationship with us and things were good. Things were good. Two, of course, that only lasts two chapters into the Bible, okay? It's a long, the Bible's a long book. That was two chapters. Two, humanity's problem. I put a few things up there, sin, sickness, selfishness. But here's the deal. When you're talking to someone about the gospel, I need you to understand that sin manifests itself very differently in different people's lives. People experience brokenness in different kinds of ways. 50, 60 years ago, you go to any, any like preaching summit or, and it would be about guilt because the moral landscape was clear and so preachers laid into the moral violations of the law. You are guilty. This is how Jesus takes care of your guilt. What do you do in a moral landscape that doesn't exist? Because that's our world today. For a lot of people, it's shame. There's a lot of people who carry a lot of shame. Jesus came to bear that shame. There's a lot of people in your life who are exhausted and don't have the kind of rest Jesus promises to give. There's people in your world who experience a kind of meaninglessness or purposelessness. That is hard, that is deep, and they wrestle with it. And our, our purpose is to glorify and enjoy God forever. And when you glorify and enjoy ultimately anything that isn't God, right? When you're a kind of person who is enjoying everything but God and glorifying everything but God, it would make sense that that kind of meaninglessness and purposelessness would follow. And so this second point, humanity's problem, you can share about what your problem was. How sin infected your life. And then you can work that and, and, and make it clear for the people with whom you're speaking. And ultimately, that leads us to God's plan. Christ and the cross. Jesus came to live the life we couldn't, the perfect life we couldn't, to die the death we deserve, so that in paying for our sin, and paying our penalty, the relationship could be reestablished for those who would trust in Jesus. That's the good news. And with that relationship established, with Jesus paying that price, the final point is humanity's posture, which is repent, trust, and hope. We're a couple behind up there. 
humanity's posture. If you've ever really wronged someone in a relationship and you know you were the one who was to blame and you came back into a conversation with the goal of restoring that relationship, it probably began with, I was right, you were, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't, don't do that. It probably began with, I'm sorry. This is not who I want to be. This is not what I want to do. That's repentance. And for us as broken people, when we realize who Jesus is and what he's done, that's our response. God, a sinner is not who I want to be. I can't do this on my own. I don't even want to try. Take the keys. Get in the driver's seat. I trust you. And for your hope to ultimately be placed in Christ, not in everything else. God's perfection, humanity's problem, God's plan, humanity's posture. And if that's something that you don't feel comfortable sharing, get in front of a mirror. You can change the words. You don't have to use mine. And practice so that when opportunity comes, you're not just willing, but you're ready. All right, let's look at how the Ethiopian eunuch eventually responds. Verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look! I just love who initiates this conversation. You notice it's not Philip saying, hey, you got to do this. It's the eunuch. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. There's some disagreement on the grammar of this sentence, what this means between evangelical scholars. Some say, no, God just guided him and he walked away. Others think he, he like picked him up and zoomed him somewhere else. God's supernatural. He can do what he wants. I'm just letting you know there's some disagreement on exactly what's, what's happening there. All right, he carried Philip away. The eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way, what? Rejoicing. A man who had been on the outskirts of the way God had chosen to touch down and establish a relationship with the people through the law, the one on the outskirts was now adopted into the family. The one who perhaps had felt like a stranger was now an adopted son. And he walks away rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, it says, and he was traveling and preaching in the gospel, the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so the gospel continues to spread. In closing, something to think about. What we get here is a credible profession of faith followed by the eagerness to be baptized. Baptism, kind of scripturally all throughout, it happens in a bunch of different ways, but baptism historically born out of the scriptures is something that we do when someone offers a credible profession of faith. Historically, this has actually looked very different. In the parts of the early church, because of persecution, they would make people wait a long time sometimes before they could be baptized and be part of the church because they were making sure that they weren't a covert person trying to like get in and figure out who the Christians were so they could report them, right? Here, we only have a three-week class, okay? We're not, gonna, we're not gonna make you wait a year. A part of the point of that is, again, making sure that this is a credible profession of faith, Historically, this is done by the church because that's where the keys to the apostles and then ultimately manifest in the, in the local church. But here, this is the outskirts of where the gospel is being preached. And so Philip literally was the church to the eunuch. 
And so we see this baptism. Because of this, churches, some churches have age requirements for baptism. And that's why. That it would be a credible profession of faith. Some churches require you to be 18 or 16. Here we require age 10. Because we want it to be a credible profession. And if you grew up in a Christian home, that kind of time allows, allows the demonstration that it's a cr- credible profession of faith. And that's important. But the thing I want to end with is the eagerness of the eunuch to be baptized. Because there's a, there's a hesitation for many people which we can sympathize with. The shyness of being in front of people and being baptized. I just love that the eunuchs was so eager for it to happen. He was so excited about what he had heard and he, and he was ready. Who, knew, who knows who else was there? It doesn't tell us. There may have been people watching. But as baptism approaches on April 28th, and we'll have class for that, as registrations and signups come out, I would encourage, if you have come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you would consider the kind of eagerness that we see in the eunuch and be excited and anticipate what God has prescribed in the act of baptism. That is, that the inner work happening in your heart be publicly displayed. Why? Not so that the church gets a good reputation. Not so that GBC adds a tick to the box. But when that happens, God is glorified. When testimony is shared, God gets the glory. And it encourages and it edifies us as a body. And so, what do we get in this this account? We get a willing evangelist. He was ready to share the gospel. And when someone was ready to respond, he went all in. So no matter where you are, I would encourage you to think, to consider. And again, if you don't feel willing or ready, pray for that. Come talk to us because we'd love to help. We'd love to help. Pray with me. Lord, whatever it is that may stand in, in our way, God, I pray you'd remove those roadblocks. And Lord, I'm sure for some people in in this room, people in their families, in their workplaces, in schools have come to mind for whom there is just so much prayer. And so God, we, we, we lift them up to you, Lord, and we pray for the wonderful opportunities and the boldness to step out, to share. Um, again, Lord, that, that your name would be made great. Help us to be willing, help us to be ready um, when those opportunities arise, God. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.